0: Greetings. My, my name is uh, Peter. Uh, t- hi. Um, Terry asked me to uh, fill in for him uh, this week. Uh, he's doing fine. He sends his love. He should be back, Lord willing, uh, next uh, Wednesday. So um, tonight, if you don't mind, turn to Luke chapter 16. If you're using a Bible under the seat, it's on page twelve hundred five. Long time ago, in a place far away, in a galaxy far away, I guess. My, my, we, I was uh, newly married to my bride. We were living in North Carolina. We had one child at the time. I was in the Army. We were living outside of Fort Bragg in a place called Spring Lake, North Carolina. And I was a, a private at the time. And as privates have, you have to do a thing called CQ duty, charge of quarters. and. I guess they didn't have fire alarm systems because you were like the fire guard. If there was a fire or something, you had to knock on all the doors to get everybody out. But you also had to clean and um, check the doors that they were locked and, you know, walk around. So uh, one night I had this CQ duty, charge of quarters, and I got done with doing all my rounds, buffing the floors, and I, I sat down. Uh, take a break. And I, I noticed the sergeant that was on duty with me and his name was uh, Sergeant Charles. He he was reading the Bible. And um, so I, I said to him, oh, um, I see that you're reading the Bible. That's, that's all I said. I, I see you're reading the Bible. And he said to me, are you a Christian? And I, I said, um, I'm 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 a, I'm a Catholic. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian. And then he asked me this question, and he, he asked me. He said, "If you were to die today, if you were to die right now, would you go to heaven, or would you go to hell?" And I, I paused before I responded. Because that's a pretty serious question. And 40 years later, I'm I'm going to ask that question. Do do people today in the modern, civilized world believe in life after death? Do you know, sadly, 16%, 16% that's one out of six Americans believe there's no life after death? Now, you could say to yourself, oh, that's good, 84% believe in life after death. But of that 84% that believe in life after death, a a, a large percent believe in reincarnation, coming back to earth and some other, uh, coming back to earth again. Others believe in joining the universe in some form of energy. And then another group believes in moving into another dimension. Today's Bible verses give us a glimpse of information to be able to answer the question, is there life after death? In the context of this chapter, chapter 16 of Luke, Jesus already told his disciples he's going to be betrayed, condemned to die, and crucified. Now, we know in retrospect, they haven't a clue what that means. But he did tell them that. And they're on their way to Jerusalem. They're making their way to Jerusalem. On their way there, he's teaching them. In this, the context of this chapter, he's teaching them about money. The first um, few verses, he's talking, telling them about being good stewards. Well, in the midst of this, The Pharisees are listening to him, and that's where we pick up in verse 14 of chapter 16. Now, the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, also heard these things, and they derided him. And and derided means they, they snubbed his nose at him, because he was telling his disciples how to properly be good stewards of money. And in verse 15, Jesus says to them, You are those who justify yourself before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Starting in verse 19 is where we're going to pick up. Jesus, full of grace, and grace is one of the many attributes of God, Grace is inclined to spare the guilty. Jesus is graciously providing the Pharisees and us with a serious and chilling view of life after death. And that money on earth does not equal success in the afterlife, which is very important. Another key point, this story is only in the Gospel of Luke, And nowhere else in the Bible do we get a glimpse that we're going to see in in this this story. We're going to see Jesus answer four questions. Is there life after death? Where do people go when they die? How can I know for certain there is life after death? And how can I go to heaven? Very important questions for today. So, starting in Luke 16, verse 19, let me uh, read the story and do your best to get a visual of what's going on. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house For I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they should also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded though one rise from the dead. And uh, Father, I do uh, thank you so much uh, for your word. And, and I, I ask right now just for your mercy as we uh, go through this, that you would just help, help me to clearly explain it. And uh, may your Holy Spirit uh, guide my, my words and open the hearts and ears of the hearer and that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, Jesus provides the Pharisees and us a sobering view of the afterlife. In a glimpse of life after death and of hell. People don't like to think or talk about death. They don't like it. They, they use words like, well, they passed away. Or they kick the bucket, or they pretend that it's not going to happen to them. We don't like to think about death in any way, and if we do think about it, it's sometime long, long in the future. But deep down, we know that death is coming. And we know, especially today, that it comes at any age, from, being, from an infant all the way up to to a senior. But we don't know when. Statistically, men die at, at 76 and a half years old. Women die at 81 and a half. Combined, about 89 years old, people die. But as I said, we know that people die at all ages for various different reasons. The world death rate, and this, this is, uh, when, I, when I looked this up, it was kind of astounding to me that every few seconds, basically two people die. Every minute, 106 people die. Every hour, over 6,000 people die. Today, basically 153, 155,000 people are going to die. Now, what's sad about that, right, and we, it's good we have that knowledge that people are dying all around us, right, is that... The ones that believe in reincarnation, the ones that believe in going to another dimension, the ones that don't believe the way of salvation. In in one of my favorite uh, poems, and uh, it's by Edmund Vance Cook, and it's over 100 years old, and the name of the poem is, How Did You Die?, And the the last verse is death comes with a crawl or it comes with a pounce. And whether it's slow or spry, it isn't the fact that you're dead that counts, but how did you live and why? Now the whole poem is really about living. So I'm going to ask you and myself, do I live believing in God's word? Because that's the trump of this section and and you'll see what I mean in a second first question Jesus answers is there life after death we look in verse 22 it says so it was the beggar died no record of a burial His body was probably discarded, thrown in the dump. In in the south side of the city, there was a place called um, uh, Hinnom or uh, Gehenna. It was uh, rubbish and trash burning. His body was probably thrown there. But as that verse goes on, verse 22, so the beggar died, but he was carried by angels to Abraham's bosom. So he might not have had a burial, but he had some pretty awesome um, pallbearers, right? Carrying him to Abraham's bosom. In verse 22, we see the rich man also died and was buried. He probably had a huge funeral with celebrities um, galore, people speaking how great he was at his funeral. But we see in 23 that he's in Hades. And now we see the great reversal, okay? The great reversal. The beggar, now Jesus is telling this story to Pharisees, remember? So the Pharisees would have thought when Jesus was describing, describing the, the beggar, they would have said, that's a cursed guy. And why? It's In verse 20, he's full of sores. He's laid at the, great, the gate. He's probably crippled. He's, he's desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. He's probably hungry. So he's unhealthy, crippled, hungry, and he's ignored by the rich man. The rich man in the story, as I read it, he knew Lazarus. He said, Father Abraham, tell Lazarus to go dip his finger in the water. Go, go tell Lazarus to go talk to my brothers. He knew who he was. He walked by him all the time, ignored by people, the dogs came, in verse 20, and licked his sores. Now, we don't know if the dogs, if he was—he didn't have the strength to push him away or the dogs were helping him. But the point is, they were licking his sores. And in verse 25, the sum of his life, it says... He received evil things. That was the sum of his life. Lazarus. But the great reversal is in verse 25 it says now he is comforted. Now he's comforted. I love it in Psalm uh, 34 it has a verse and it says the poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. When some people think, and, and I don't know, I, I read a lot of commentary on this, and they, some say it's a parable, others say it's not a parable, because Jesus, and only one in the scripture where he actually names a person. So we don't know. So you, you can decide for yourself. But the name Lazarus, in some ways Jesus could be just driving home a point. Because the name Lazarus means whom God helps. So he's talking to the Pharisees. There was a beggar named Lazarus. He's full of sores, laid at the gate, desiring to be fed from the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. Dogs licked his sores. And the Pharisees are like, that guy's cursed by God. The great reversal, though. It doesn't mean that. Just because you're poor, you're going to be rich in heaven. Or just because you're rich, you're going to end up in hell. But it's, it's, the, it's what's going on in your heart. But there is a great reversal here. Now, the Pharisee, the rich man, they would have looked at him when they're de- describing him. When Jesus is describing him, they're going to go, that guy is blessed He's clothed in purple. Only the very rich wore, wore purple. They had to take a certain shell and squeeze out the dye from it. It taught, took thousands of them to do it. And then in fine linen, Jesus is basically saying even his undergarments were just so fine. Special undergarments. And then he fared sumptuously every day. He lived in luxury. The sum of his life, he received good things in verse 25. Probably a religious guy too. How do I say that? Because in, this, in verse 23, he knows who Abraham is. And in verse 30, he, he knows the word repent. So he's probably well-rounded religiously. But religion doesn't get you to heaven. In his afterlife In verse 23, it says he's being in torment. In verse 25, it's tormented in flames. In verse 28, it's a place of torment. Clearly, we see there is life after death. One is in a place of comfort, and the other is in a place of torment. What if... And Actually, I shouldn't even say what if. There's people that imagine that there is no heaven. In in the lyrics of this uh, uh, 1971 song, Imagine, it says, imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us, only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there's no country it isn't hard to do, nothing to kill or die for, and no religion too. Imagine all the people just living in peace. I, I know you guys have seen this before. No Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, no peace. It, it's, it's, you can't do it without it. So what you can imagine there's no heaven, but there is. And you can deny there's no heaven. This is uh, Stephen Hawkins, Britain's most renowned scientist. He had an IQ of roughly 160 equal to Einstein and an outspoken atheist. This is a couple of his quotes. The belief that heaven or the afterlife awaits us is a fairy story for people afraid of death. Nothing beyond the moment when the brain flickers for the final moment. The brain as a computer which will stop working when its components fail. Now, I'm going to say that God was so gracious to him, allowing him to live 76 years. He did have ALS, uh, commonly referred to as Lou Gehrig's disease, but for 76 years, he had a chance to to figure it out. Lenin, on the other hand, was gunned down. He basically... Um, Mark David Chapman came to get an autograph. He uh, signed the autograph, and then a few hours later, he waited outside his apartment. Lennon was approximately 40 years old. was walking, He walked by him, and Chapman shot him f- shot five times. Four, four bullets went into his back. He died on the way to the hospital. Lennon was 40 years old when he died. Chapman said that he shot him because Lenin, and I don't know if you know this, Lenin made the comment that the Beatles are more popular than Jesus. Jesus answers the question, there is life after death. Whether you imagine there's no heaven or whether you are so smart that you deny it. Next, Jesus answers the question, Where do people go? And in verse 23, we see the two locations Abraham's bosom and Hades. Hades is the Greek version equivalent to Sheol and both of these locations are considered the place of the dead I have a a little graph here but I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it so you have Hades the Greek Sheol in Hebrew it's the same location where both of these people are at. Um, the rich man's in the place of torment. Abraham, uh, uh, Lazarus is in Abraham's bosom, a place of comfort, and there's a gulf fixed between them. And if time allows, I, I will go back over that again. In one of the commentaries, it says that Hades, called hell in the King James Version, is described as a place of torment and anguish. In in this verse, these verses right here, Luke uh, 16, 23 and 24, the rich man went there immediately upon death. Scripture's teaching is that all who die in their sins will immediately go to hell or Hades where they will remain conscious of their misery and despair until summoned before God at the great white throne judgment. These who reject God's mercy must face his wrath, and they will eventually be judged and cast into the lake of fire. The lake of fire, the eternal punishment, which means it goes on and on and on, was never intended for man. God ordained the lake of fire as a final stop for Satan and his army of fallen angels. Regrettably, legions of unrepented people will, by their own volition, spend eternity with Satan and demons who join his unholy rebellion. The poet Milton described the damned as those who prefer ruling in hell over serving in heaven indeed those who choose hell are rebels to the very end even this guy he doesn't ask the rich man doesn't ask God for mercy he doesn't even mention God he he cries out to Abraham Abraham have mercy he he doesn't say God I, I messed up I done wrong and then He's bossing Lazarus around like he's, like he's still like a chump. <laughs> Many are misinformed, though, about hell. And why? Because of early manuscripts, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you a couple or one in particular, um, movies, music... And these uh, movies, music, and manuscripts create myths or urban legends about life after death. And one of the first ones is Dante's Divine Comedy, written in the 1300s. The thing about this poem is it's really not that funny. And, And Dante journeys through the levels of hell Cycling down through purgatory, and eventually everybody arrives in paradise, which brings on universalism. Universalism refers to universal salvation for today's world. Everybody's included, no one is left out. Wouldn't that be great? but as as that writer Milton said the damned as as though they prefer ruling in hell over serving in heaven, indeed, those who choose hell are rebels to the very end they they don't want God in their life and and actually they have to step over the uh the, the crucified, risen Christ. I mean, that Christ did everything for us. So then, we go to the to the movies, and and I know I I, I like watching movies, right? But you know that sometimes they have some warped views of angels and devils, and and, and actually, it it leads to like a lot of things that aren't true like like jokes you know and like th- this is i demand to see a lawyer you've certainly come to the right place and and we can laugh at that it's it's funny it's a good lawyer joke right but satan is not in charge in hell but we think that satan is not with horns it, it's it, it's we're, we're deceived. This one blows my mind. With Christian Bale. Um, during the Golden Globe Awards in 2019, you know he, he thank you to Satan for giving me the inspiration for playing this role, and the role if I if I got it right he was playing portraying the vice president uh, Dick Cheney in the movie Vice. But but he said that and everybody laughed. Ha ha ha. It's it's really sad. Hell's not a joke. It's not a party. You know, you hear people say, "Oh, I'm I'm going to go to hell, all my friends are going to be there." It it's not like that. Just recently, Sam Smith and Kim uh, Petrus at the Grammy Awards in 2023, they win the best pop duo as they performed Unholy. So proudly, just, you know, it, it's sad. Misinformation from manuscripts, from books, from movies, from music, leads people astray. And it leads them down the wrong road. This is the manuscript that we want to study. And and you'll see what I mean in a second. We have others that maybe they're well-meaning. Maybe. Okay, but they still lead people astray. And this is a real big one. I don't know if you recognize him, that that's uh, Rob Bell. He founded Mars Hills Bible Church in uh, Gransville, Michigan. Large mega church. And he pastored it for several years. Actually, he resigned in 2012. Now why did he resign? Because Time magazine named him, Bell, one of the most 100 influential people in the world. Why? Did they name him that? Because he was challenging God's word. He authored the New York Times best-selling book, "Love Wins." And you know what? Love does win. God is love. Now, God is love. I'm not saying God loves. Of course he loves, but God is love. The complete package. Love wins. God wins. But his version, he starts asking the question, is is Gandhi in hell? Why would God send Gandhi to hell? And, And this is one of his quotes. God loves us. God offers us everlasting life by grace freely through no merit on our part unless you do not respond the right way then God will torture you forever in hell huh and he starts questioning God so he gets a uh, time magazine 100 most influential person of the year gets a bestseller And he leads a lot of people astray. Jesus answers the question, where do people go when they die? People may joke, laugh. They may, you know, talk about a lot of different things or have their own version. But this version here, there's two locations. You go to heaven or you go to hell. Period. Period. Next, Jesus answers the question, how can I know for certain there's life after death? And this one is, is like my favorite section here. The rich man in verse 27 says, The rich man, in verse 27, he says, Send him, Lazarus, to my father's house, for I have five brothers, and he, Lazarus, may testify to them. In verse 30, he says, If one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And back to verse 28, lest they come to this place of torment. So he's got a plan. His plan is we're going to have a miracle and a big sign. We're going to have someone go back to them from the dead. They know Lazarus too. They stepped over him just like, just like I did. But do miracles alone change your heart? I I look at the 10 plagues or the 10 miracles that happened in Egypt we see that Pharaoh's heart was hardened and the children of Israel constantly struggled to believe complaining and grumbling to Moses as they traveled through the promised land bread from heaven I mean that is like awesome right every day you're getting fed bread's coming from heaven but it didn't change them. Water from a rock. In the middle of nowhere, God's providing for them. All of these miracles didn't equal, oh man, I, I, that, I'm going to follow God with all my heart. No, 40 years of wilderness wandering due to their disobedience and unbelief kind of summed up here Then the Lord said to Moses how long will these people reject me how long will they not believe me with all the signs which I performed among them in the New Testament chronologically this did not happen yet okay so Jesus is still making his way to Jerusalem he, he's not at Bethany yet this is a uh, the, the story of the Lazarus, Mary and Martha's brother, being raised from the dead. Jesus goes there. He's for sure dead. He's been dead for four days. The sisters say, uh, you know, don't roll away the stone. It, it's, it stinks. And the King, uh, uh, King James, is, he stinketh, you know, so don't roll the stone away. But what happens? Do the Pharisees believe because of this miracle? No. Actually, in the following chapter, they don't only want to kill Jesus, but now they want to kill Lazarus. And this sums it up right here, where it says, although he... Jesus had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him. See, signs are a tricky thing, for Satan himself can transform himself to an angel of light. And in 2 Thessalonians, I was reminded of this verse the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power signs and lying wonders and with all unrighteousness deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved miracles miracles and signs alone cannot change an unbelieving heart what does the word of god the rich man says, I got an idea. Let's do, let's do a miracle. Let's do a sign. Let, let's get someone to rise from the dead. Abraham, and Jesus is telling the story, saying Abraham responding. In verse 29, he says, They have, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Let them hear them. They have in their hands... They hold, they possess, possess Moses and the prophets. They, they possess the scriptures. This this verse kind of sums it up. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. That's uh, John 1.1. 1, 1. And this um, written years after this story takes place. But John's John's telling us, just like they have it in their hands, we do too. And John's saying, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And I don't know if you've ever seen this before with these two scripture verses. This is the introduction of John, uh, how they overlap. So, see if if I highlighted it and you'd be able to read this with me. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh. And the Word was with God, and dwelt among us. I get goosebumps reading it. And the Word was God, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and grace. In truth. Grace, as he's teaching these Pharisees, they're going down the wrong road. In verse 29, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. In verse 31, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded though one rise from the dead. And we have the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and the joints and marrow. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That, that, uh, The the rich man says, do a miracle. Abraham's telling him it's the word of God. Remember this story? That's uh, the road to Aramaeus. Now there was uh, two of them were traveling down the road after Jesus was crucified. And as they traveled... They were talking together, and they were were really sad. And all of a sudden, Jesus came up alongside of them, and they said, what kind of conversation is that that you have with one another as you walk and and are are sad? Then one of them named uh, Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem, and you know not? The things would have happened in these days, and he said to them, what what things so they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth he was a prophet, mighty indeed in deed and word before God and all the people, and the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him, but we were hoping that he would Was who he was going to redeem Israel indeed beside all this today is the third day since these things happened yes and women of our company who arrived at the tomb early were astonished when they didn't find the body they came and they said they saw a vision of an angel saying that he was alive then Jesus says to them, O foolish and slow to heart to believe, all the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them all the scriptures concerning himself. Now, as the, as the story goes on, Jesus acts like he's going to keep walking. And they're like restrained him stay with us, stay with us, you know. So then he's getting ready to break bread, and then he, he disappears, and they go, That was the Lord. And, and I, I love this verse, it's, it's in uh, the same chapter. And it says, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road and he opened the scriptures to us? And they run, they get their friends, and then Jesus meets the whole gang of them. And in that same chapter, he says, then he said to them, these are the words which I have spoken to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he, Jesus, opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scripture. I have one more quick example here of how, how a sign in and of itself can draw an attention, but it, it, doesn't, it doesn't save somebody. So in Acts chapter 3, you have the lame man. You have Peter and John. They went to the temple to pray. They see a crippled man outside begging. Peter says to him, silver and gold we we don't have, but in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And all the people saw him walking and leaping and praising God, and they drew a crowd. So now there's a big crowd. Peter saw it, and he responded to the people, and he says, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this, or or why do you look so intently at us as though we, in our own power or godliness, have made this man walk? And Peter preached to them Christ. After he was done preaching, the temple guards and Pharisees and all the religious leaders came around him, and they arrested him. But this is the verse I wanted to point out. The following chapter, it says, However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. The word. And I came upon this earlier, and it says, Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. Every word of God is pure. Every word. Whether we understand it or not, it's it's pure. It's true. Jesus tells us how we can get to heaven. Believe in Moses and the prophets. Believe in the word of God. Now, as he was telling this story, he said there was a, in verse 26, there's a great gal fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. There's a big gulf in between. It's fixed. So the decision that we make today while we're alive have an impact on eternity, on our destination, because it's fixed. When when Jesus went into Nazareth and when he started preaching, He went into the city of Nazareth. He was handed the scroll as the custom. They handed him this scroll right here, and he opened it, and then he read it. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recover the sight to the blind and to set liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, he's reading from Isaiah, but he stops right there. If you look at the verse in Isaiah, it says, "To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and then the day of the vengeance of our God." Now is the acceptable year of the Lord. You know, I, I I said that story in the beginning where the guy asked me the question. Asked me, you know, are are you, are you a Christian? And um, it, well, if you die today, would you go to heaven or would you go to hell? I I told him, I said, I, I I'd go to heaven. That was my response. So he asked me a follow up question. Why would you go to heaven? And I said to him, I'm, um, I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. He looked at me sadly, and he said that um, I'm not saved, and I'm, I'm not going to heaven. I don't know the way to heaven. Now, he, he invited me to church, and he mentored me a while, and I did surrender. Because of that conversation, I, I became a Christian back in, in, in uh, 1981, a long time ago. But it, but it was a great question to ask. Jesus, in these verses, answered the question, is there life after death? Yes, there is. Jesus also shows us where do people go after they die, heaven or hell. It's the, it's the, the two choices. How can I be certain that there's life after death? Because the Bible says so. That's why. This is the manuscript. This is the book that we need to follow. How can I get to heaven? I need to believe his promises. Now, to sum it up, God is holy, God is pure, God is everything that is good. And we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us. But God has demonstrated his love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God's making a way of salvation for you and my, salvation for me. And in John, that same chapter that I read in the beginning. It says, as many as received him, he gave to them the right to become a child of God to those who believe in his name. It's it's like real simple. God's holy, we're not. We've sinned, but he demonstrated his love. He made a bridge for us to get to him. So we don't have to spend eternity in hell. For God so loved... The world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Let's pray. Father, we Thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for this story, this glimpse into the afterlife. We thank you for the grace you showed the Pharisees by teaching them and the mercy you show us by just loving us day after day of all of our failures and and shortfalls. Father, I I do pray right now for those that are here. And uh, Wednesday night, probably everybody here is a believer. But but if, if you would all just join me in your heart of hearts, just praying for those that are here that might not know, might not know the way, if you would pray for them with me. God is holy. And... You can imagine there's no heaven. You can deny it. You can do a lot of different things, but the word of God is true, and God is holy, and God is just, and God is righteous. And it does say clearly that all have sinned, you and me both, but God demonstrates his love towards us that why we were sinners Christ died for us, making a way. So right now, in the inner being of your heart, if you would just cry out simply saying, Father, I know I've sinned. I know I failed. I know I need a savior. I'm tired of doing it on my own. I'm tired of following Hollywood and all the Fancy music and different magazines and I'm sorry, Lord. Help me to follow you. Help me to believe in your word. Help me to know you more clearly. If you said that and you meant it, welcome to the family of God. We love you, Lord. We thank you for you and your word. And may you continue to minister to our hearts, continue to teach us more about you. And we just thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.